welcome back to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, a podcast vacation presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and to be totally honest with you guys, I wasn't really planning to release anything anytime soon. Partly that's because it was, I want to say it was Friday of last week. Well, whatever. It was March the 1st, so, you know, whatever time relative to, like to when you hear this, it's very soon after the release of that episode that I'm recording this now. And the, like I say, the last one that I released about the J.J. Uh, Abrams 2009 Star Trek film, I released that on March the 1st. And so as I record that, that was Friday of last week, but, you know, fuck it, I have no idea when I'm going to release this, and this is boring to listen to, so I'm just going to move right along and say, wasn't really planning to release anything so soon, just because it really wasn't that long ago that I released something at all. So, if you can call not having a plan a plan, then that was the plan. But little did I suspect, well, not so much that I didn't, suspect that there wasn't going to be some kind of teased information concerning the uh, Amazon Prime uh, Lord of the Rings show. I figured that obviously something's coming because if you've been following the Twitter account, they've been releasing maps and whatnot, and I'll be circling back to that actually in just a minute. But, you know, for right now, my point is that I wasn't planning to release anything so soon because, like I say, it was fairly recently that I released something, and i honestly just trying to do as little podcasting as I can right now, but there have been, and not, honestly, not just this Lord of the Rings business, there's actually been a ton of stuff going on lately that I do think is worth talking about, and so I guess the purpose of this episode that you're listening to right now is to talk about some of that stuff. And obviously at the top of the list is the Lord of the Rings Amazon show. So here we go. That's a whole lot of table setting that I just did, but whatever. Here we are. So uh, basically, for those of you who don't know, I think it would be a mistake for me to call myself a huge Tolkien fan or anything like that, because I, I don't, maybe I've just got too high a bar for when you get to call yourself a fan of something, but I always kind of thought that you don't get to call yourself a fan unless it's not, I mean, loving something is kind of implied whenever you say that you're a fan of anything, but if you want to call yourself a fan of something, at least in my book, you need to have some kind of depth of knowledge about it, you know? I'm not saying that you necessarily need to be a walking encyclopedia about it, but you do need to know, you need to know some stuff. And I don't really know a whole lot about uh, Tolkien's Legendarium. I don't, I mean, I've read, you know, Lord of the Rings and everything, and I certainly, I, I enjoyed that, but that's the only work of his that I've ever read, you know? And so, considering the wealth of uh, Tolkien material that's out there, do you really have the right to call yourself a fan whenever you've read one of that author's books. It's kind of like, do you have the right to call yourself a Led Zeppelin fan just because you love Led Zeppelin 4? Well, dude, the entire world loves the Led Zeppelin 4 album. And so the fact that you love it too 
by itself, that doesn't mean you get to call yourself a fan. Why don't you listen to their album Presence and then get back to me? Let me know what you think, you know? And that's, I hate to say it, but that's just kind of where I'm coming from with honestly anything to do that has anything to do with calling oneself a fan of something. It's honestly, it's really the same reason that I, I'm a little bit reluctant to call myself a Star Trek fan. I mean, yeah, I watch a shit ton of Star Trek, but does that mean you get to call yourself a fan of Star Trek? I mean... How much about it do I really know? And how much about Tolkien's Legendarium do I really know? And the answer to both of those questions is not as much as you might think. But nevertheless, I'm really looking forward to this this Amazon show. Because for a long while there, the, the big theory that everybody had was that the Amazon Prime show was going to be sort of like the adventures of young Aragorn and all the shit that he was doing prior to the events of the Fellowship of the Ring and then moving forward. There was, and I think still is, ambiguity about whether or not this Amazon show relates in any way to Peter Jackson's movies. And as far as I know, the jury is still out on that. But considering the nature, uh, the true nature, of this Amazon show. Its relation to the Peter Jackson trilogy could be kind of, I don't know, academic, maybe? Moot? I'm gonna read a little something something that was posted on theonering.net, which you can find at theonering.net, and I hope that kind of is self-explanatory. But anyway, so from theonering.net, uh, what they posted was earlier today, which I guess means yesterday at the time that I record this. Earlier today, Amazon Prime revealed yet another map of Middle Earth along with text completing the Ringverse. I'm going to put this on pause and say the Ringverse that it, that they're talking about, Amazon, the Amazon uh, Lord of the Rings uh, Twitter was posting maps of Middle Earth with little bits, bits and pieces of the the ring verse from Lord of the Rings. And so when they say the ring verse, that's what they're talking about. So just something to be aware of there. Anyway, so getting back into it, though, uh, it says, Then the words, Welcome to the Second Age. True to those words, the new map reveals Numenor, which sunk beneath the ocean near the end of the Second Age. This confirms one thing, at least, that Amazon's film rights extend beyond what's between the covers of The Lord of the Rings as the only map of Numenor in Tolkien's work, uh, works appears in Unfinished Tales. Other than that, the possibilities for the direction or directions the story will take us are almost endless, both with respect to Numenor and what was happening in Middle-earth at the time. Take a good look and read on. And you, of course, have the option to read on. But that's really the main issue that I wanted to seize upon, at least at the beginning of this episode. Uh, because when you think about it, I mean, like I say, do I really have the right to call myself a Tolkien fan or a Legendarium fan? I err on the side of saying no. But at the same time, I'm not completely ignorant about the Legendarium, and at least bits and pieces of the timeline and how all these different things fit together uh, to create the social and political context 
which Lord of the Rings, well, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings took place in. And so I know enough to say that if what Amazon is intending to do is make kind of a Kings of Numenor type of show, wow, that's huge. Because, I mean, number one, I mean, we all kind of sort of know where the story's going. It's not exactly a spoiler to say that the Lord of the Rings is the capstone for everything. I mean, that's those are the finishing touches, and that's basically how the Legendarium ends. But this idea that there are no stories to be told, because I've seen some people say that. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, you know? And this, this business, you know, goings on with uh, Numenor, the kings of Numenor, the the uh, settlements that the elves establish, the uh, uh, basically uh, uh, goings on with, I forget the guy's name. Well, I'll just read the thing because it's right. Yeah. El Ross, brother of Elrond, uh, goings on with him. And then uh, there's uh, Sauron in disguise learning how to make magic rings. And I don't, it, there's just, there's, there's a, there's a wealth of material uh, to cover here. And, I'm, I kind of have to come down with whoever it is that wrote this at theonering.net. For me, at least, the the real revelation in all of this is the news that Amazon is not confined to things that are somehow or another referenced between the covers of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings or take place. Uh, between the covers of those uh, of those two books, or, or those characters, or, or, or just whatever, the apparently what what I think we're supposed to take from all of this is the deal that that Amazon made with the Tolkien estate apparently includes at the very least unfinished tales. But I mean, to me, it sort of makes sense to assume that if Amazon has has the rights to unfinished tales. Again, at least to me, it's reasonable to assume they've probably got the Silmarillion and all that fun stuff. So what might they do with a show that's all about specifically the the second age of Middle Earth? Well, there's a lot of ground to cover there. And I, you know, like I say, I'm not going to be the one to sit here and spitball ideas as though I'm some kind of an authority on the subject, because God knows I'm not. But I got to tell you guys, you know, hearing this news really got my jets going because <clears throat> I'll circle back to comic book stuff in just a minute. But suffice it to say, there's really not a lot that's happening with uh, comic books or with comic book movies or TV shows or anything else. There's just really not much that's going on right now that's striking my fancy. And so this idea of making a, a Lord of the Rings kind of prequel show or a second age show or a Kings of Numenor type of show or, or whatever direction this thing is going to go in, you know what? Under the right circumstances, meaning if it's done right, yeah, that could really scratch my fan itch right now because, guys, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting kind of discouraged with 
like I say, with with uh, comics and whatnot, it's not that I don't love comics anymore or I don't love comic book movies anymore, you know, because I do. It's just the reality of the situation is, and it's a, it's a reality that I've been face-to-face with for quite some time now, but the reality of the situation is I kind of think that comics have sort of passed me by. And somehow I don't think I'm alone on that because if sales figures are anything to judge by, they've left a lot of uh, people behind. You know, comics have passed a lot of the old-time fans right on by. And we've been treated over the course of the last, I should say, week and a half, we've been treated to news stories, fake news stories, as it turns out, but news stories nonetheless. First, that DC Comics was basically going out of business. And then, just about a week later, we were treated to news that Marvel Comics was going out of business. Now, as I say, in both cases those reports ended up being fake news. You know, you can't really, or or at least you can't easily say that those are, those things are happening. You know, those things are going on right now when Dan DiDio and Joe Casada both have made public statements calling bullshit on, on the whole thing. And if anybody is in a position to, to know and speak out about, the uh, the state of affairs vis-a-vis publishing with DC Comics and Marvel Comics, it's pretty much Dan DiDio and Joe Casada. you know? If we can't trust them, we can't trust anybody. Now, it turns out, apparently, that DC and Marvel Comics are not going out of business, but guys... I'm going to be very honest with you and say that we need to get comfortable with the reality that sooner or later, eventually, we're all going to wake up one morning and we're going to read news headlines that Marvel Comics has gone out of business or DC Comics has gone out of business and it's not going to be fake news. All right? It's going to be the real thing. That's going to be what actually happens. And there's just no way around it. You know, there's no way that Marvel and DC can turn off permanently, it seems, so many of the old, longtime veteran fans that have kept them in business for all these years and not replacing them with new readers and not suffer consequences for that. It's a little much to think that Basically, they can completely destroy their own business models and whatever, not a big deal. Their parent companies will prop them up and and life will go on. Guys, business does not work that way, okay? It really doesn't. Disney paid top dollar for, I can't even say Marvel Comics, Marvel the brand, all right? Because that's really what they were buying. I mean, yeah... There is a comic book publisher with Marvel the brand. And yeah, there's a movie studio 
that's part of Marvel the brand. But what they were really buying, when you think about it, was Marvel the brand. And the fact of the matter is, this isn't charity. Disney may have modest expectations of, uh, of Marvel Comics as its own independent business entity, but it still needs to sink or swim all on its own, and it has not been swimming. If you want to go out on a limb, you could say it's been sinking. And I would say that DC is in a pretty similar boat. You know, I would say really for different reasons, for whatever reason, Marvel has embraced with both arms this identitarian SJW far left liberal brand of politics, which I'm not saying DC's hands are totally clean on that, but I, I just haven't gotten the idea that DC has pandered quite as much on an ideological basis as has Marvel. But irrespective, they've both done essentially the same thing in chasing off the long timers. And that sort of thing cannot long go unpunished. For reasons I can't say I fully understand, DC doesn't really hire professionals to publish their comic books, all right? They hire talent to publish their comic books. Well, I say DC. DC and Marvel both hire talent to, to publish their, their comics. And to kind of give you an idea of what I mean by that, if you go into the publishing world, generally what you're going to see is that the talent is on the book cover. Whatever book, written by whoever. That's the talent. Management, they tend to be listed somewhere on one of the first couple of pages that you're going to come to in the book. It's going to say published by, edited by, etc., etc. That's the management. That's the business model that, that uh, the book industry, I don't even know what to call that exactly, operates on. Same thing is true for other things, though, guys. Uh, take talk radio, for example. That's arguably even easier. You've got the talent, and the talent generally is going to sit in front of the microphone. Whoever you hear talking in, in, in the talk radio world, that's the talent. And they belong in front of the microphone. Management, generally, <clears throat> and in fact always, really, is going to be behind the microphone. You generally won't hear them very often. Now, yes, there are instances where novelists in some way or another become publishers, and there are instances where talk radio hosts go into management on some level or another, but those exceptions tend to prove the rule. <clears throat> in the book world, Novelists write, publishers publish. In the talk radio world, the talent speaks and management manages. That's the paradigm. And that's a paradigm that just does not fucking exist, at least at DC and Marvel. For whatever reason, writers are the publishers. For whatever reason, 
pencilers are are the publishers. Now, I I have no disrespect or anything for Jeff Johns, but seriously, guys, what the fuck does he know about publishing a monthly periodic uh, periodical? What exactly is it about his? Admittedly, it's great work that he's done, right? Uh, on on Green Lantern, I love the Johns run on Green Lantern. I mean, I don't think it has any competition. I think everybody, or probably, well, I don't know about everybody, but probably most people would say that Jeff Johns's run on Green Lantern is definitive. At least so far, nobody has ever done better with Hal Jordan than what Jeff Johns did. Now, not taking anything away from Jeff Johns, but what is it about his success writing the Green Lantern that makes somebody think, you know what, he would be a great publisher? What makes you say that? Show your work on this, okay? Because I'm trying to understand this, and I just can't, all right? I can kind of look the other way on Jim Lee being involved in the management side and production side and publishing side of DC comics, because he was his, he was independent guys for all those years. Now, at this point, I think it would be safe to say that he's been with DC far longer than he was ever independent. But the fact remains, he was independent for all those years. I mean, he's got experience publishing comics and especially towards the end of his uh, of uh, Wildstorm as an independent uh, business concern published by Image Comics, they were pretty reliable. I mean, they were getting books out on time on a, my memory of it is, they were getting books out on time on a pretty regular basis, right? So I might be willing to look the other way when it comes to Jim Lee being involved with management and publishing and all that stuff. But what is it about Jeff Johns that ever qualified him for that job? And I have never figured that out. You know, again, no disrespect to Jeff Johns. I think he's a great Green Lantern writer, right? I really enjoy his Green Lantern work. I even enjoy his Flash work, you know, what I've read of it. It's really good. It's really solid stuff. And, you know, I'm, I mean, it's like on the one hand, I don't want it to sound like I'm dragging Jeff Johns because I'm not. I'm not kissing his ass either. But my point is to say, for however good a writer Jeff Johns may or may not be, what is it about writing comics that you think qualifies him to be in management? Chart that out for me, guys, because I can't see it, all right? I don't understand that. And I don't necessarily think that Marvel is is head and shoulders better. I mean, Joe Casada, yeah, he was kind of, sort of independent, you know, for a time, but he's really, he, he's always kind of been, he's always had one foot safely planted either at DC or at Marvel, right? He, I don't think he's ever been fully independent. Like, love or hate the original Image Comics founders, but they were fully and truly independent for several years. And I don't think, my, just my memory of Joe Casada is he never really has been, you know? Yeah, Ash technically was a creator-owned independent comic book, but number one, it's not like it lasted all that long. And number two, he always had Marvel and DC as a safety net, you know? And honestly, the the examples, they just go on and on and on and on, you know? Uh, what is it about these people that has ever qualified them to be publishers? And I can't think of anything. Certainly their track record at publishing leaves a lot to be desired. 
So what's left? You know, I mean, I don't understand why it is that DC or Marvel or whoever can't hire an actual fucking professional to be their publisher. Somebody who understands the periodical world, understands what that, what, what that, what those markets demand, right? What does it take to survive in that industry? People who understand that, you know, and considering the rate at which print magazines and newspapers and stuff like that are falling the fuck apart and going out of business and all that stuff there, it's not like, I, I find it hard to believe that there's a shortage of options to choose from, you know? Why doesn't DC Comics hire somebody from uh, some washout from Newsweek or, or or just whoever, you know, one of these, there's got to be somebody at some magazine somewhere, USA Today, uh, Time, um, or for that matter, fuck it, you know, who, who says you need to be in necessarily, in, you need to recruit from the news periodical world? Why not recruit... <clears throat> from, uh, I don't know, like book publishing or something like that. There's got to be somebody out there, assuming that the comic book industry can be saved, there's got to be somebody out there who knows how to save it. Now, I released an episode a couple of years ago of, I want to say it was Trennis Magnus Punch's reality, but it was basically what, I forget the exact name of it, but it, the, the point of the episode was, what is it going to take to save the comic book industry. And in that episode, I outlined and just sort of spitballed a bunch of different ideas on what I think may or may not save the comic book industry, but at the very least, number one, they're changes, and number two, I can't possibly see how they could cause any harm, you know? And the way that things are shaping up right now, I'm not making any predictions, but the way that things are shaping up right now you know, this episode that I that I released about how to save the comic book industry? Guys, I don't know if it's even possible anymore. There is so much acrimony. There is so much ill will between the comic book industry and comic book collectors that I'm starting to think that, you know what, this may be a chasm that cannot be br uh, bridged. You know, it may not be possible. Maybe it is. I don't know, but it may not be possible, guys, and for that reason, I think we all need to kind of get comfortable with at least the prospect of waking up some morning and finding out that Marvel Comics is not going to publish comics anymore, or DC Comics isn't going to publish comics anymore, guys. I am more convinced than ever that that day is coming. And I'll even go out on a limb and say <clears throat> and uh, say that it probably would have happened already if not for Disney buying Marvel. If Disney has proven itself in uh, about anything, it's that it's willing to... I don't want to say that they're willing to go full venture capitalist with a, a, a property that they buy, but they're, they'll work with it. You know, they'll, they'll massage it. They'll manage it. They'll coax it along. They'll encourage it. But guys, there are limits to Disney's patience. And if you ever doubt me on that, look back at a lot of the huge business decisions that they were making, especially in the mid to late nineties, 
you know, they were making hard decisions all over the place about acquisitions they'd made at great financial cost. And you know what? Hey, this thing just isn't working. Okay. Time to shut it down. Anybody who thinks that Marvel Comics is somehow fucking immune to that, guys, you're dreaming. Okay. There's a day that's going to come sooner or later when Marvel isn't going to be able to pay the bills anymore. And when that happens, I at least am going to be a little fucking furious about that. You know, because say whatever you want about about Comicsgate, but the people who... I, look, I can't speak for, the, for everybody involved in Comicsgate, but at least the people I, I see on YouTube and on Twitter and other places who sympathize with Comicsgate, you know what they really want when all is said and done? You know what they really want? They want to be able to, to go to their LCS, buy a new issue of whatever, read it, enjoy it, and not be fucking politicked, okay? That's all they want. Now, there's this, there's this idea out there that says, you know what? Comicsgate are a bunch of meanie heads because they say a bunch of meanie head things. Guys, I say fuck you to all that stuff, okay? I don't know what it is that's happened to the internet and online discourse in the past couple of years that we've all forgotten where, we come, where we've come from. But guys, I'm here to tell you, and you can think of this as a cautionary tale if you're considering starting up your own podcast. Just consider this fair warning. But guys, it is fucking impossible, impossible to do anything at all online, whether it's podcasting or uh, if it's YouTube or hell, even if you've got a blog, if you're going to have any kind of presence, any kind of a real voice on Twitter or on your blog or on your podcast or whatever the fuck you're doing, it is impossible to do that without taking an incredible amount of incoming. And if you want to know what I mean by that, guys, I got fucking threats uh, over my criticism of Superman 2 and other things that I've done, but Superman 2 was by far the standout, right? I got just, uh, even now, well, less so now, but even now, I still get the occasional little nasty gram, you know, telling me what a son of a bitch I am because of the things that I said about Superman 2, okay? It is impossible to have any kind of voice on the internet and not take a crap ton of abuse, okay? So I don't know what the fuck it is with these comic book writers and artists and all these fucking thin-skinned celebrities that think that they need to be the exceptions to the rule because of whatever their fucking retarded reason is. Guys, I'm sorry. That ain't the way the internet has ever worked, okay? It's not. If you're going to be on Twitter, you're like some overrated, overpaid, and who knows, maybe overweight fucking actress, you know, if you make a movie that people don't like, guess what? People are going to come after you on Twitter about it. Is that right? No. Is that fair? No. Is that polite? No. But it's bitter fucking reality, guys. I mean, I'm sorry. The fact that you have some kind of fucking special little snowflake unicorn fucking identity doesn't insulate you from criticism, okay? It fucking doesn't, all right? The fact that I'm a huge Superman fan, I love Superman, I'm, I am the biggest Superman fan that I know personally, and in terms of knowledge and experience with this character, the amount of years that I've spent loving this character, I've got to be somewhere in like the top 10% uh, uh, 10% of the entire world in terms of knowledge, uh, love, affection, history, the, the, the whole thing. And that 
Those facts do not insulate me from all the hatred and abuse and invective that I've had to put up with just over the fact that I don't like Superman fucking too. Okay? My identity does not protect me from from criticism on that. So why the fuck? I mean, look, nothing against Kelly, uh, Kelly Marie Tran. I'm sure she's a nice person. I'm sure she's a talented actress. But why is it that the fact that she's a woman mean that, hey, people shouldn't come after her because they don't like the work that she did in The Last Jedi? You know, why is the fact that Daisy, uh, Daisy Ridley is a woman so people shouldn't come after her because they didn't like uh, The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi, right? Like, the fuck is up with that? What, you've got girl parts and so that means no one should ever criticize you? I mean, look, I'm not saying it's fair or it's right or, or anything. Look, I'm not trying to defend anything. And if there's anything that I've noticed about people, it's that there is nothing you can say that is so eloquent, so articulate, so well-spoken that some dumb son of a bitch isn't going to come along and misunderstand. So let me just say, for the record, no, I don't think it's fair or appropriate or right or anything else to uh, attack other people, especially the way uh, Kelly Marie Tran and to some degree or another Daisy Ridley have been attacked. But I am going to say it's par for the fucking course if you're anywhere on the internet and you have any kind of presence or any kind of voice or any kind of stature, okay? I'm sorry, guys. Goes with the fucking territory, all right? Uh, no one seems to be... And by the way, just since we're at it, no one seems to really be crying in their beer over the fact that Zack Snyder got probably the most uh, horrible, worst abuse that I've ever seen anyone go through on Twitter. And it was so bad he was chased off of Twitter. No one seems to be crying about him. But man, uh, Daisy Ridley closes down her Instagram and that's just the end of the fucking world. You know, I mean... If, if if you want to be outraged about something, can we be equally outraged about everything every time uh, every time this happens? Can we spread this uh, this outrage out equally? All right, instead of just picking out the two or three identity groups that are the most vulnerable, can we just say this behavior is wrong? Full stop. No matter who it affects. But it's like Zack Snyder's been left out to fucking rot and twist in the wind. Meanwhile, everyone can't wait to white knight for Daisy fucking Ridley. I'm, I don't even see what's supposed to be so fucking amazing about her anyway, but whatever. I'm getting on a rant. Anyway, guys, it's just, look, the point is, you know what, son of a bitch? I don't even remember what the, whatever. Comics gate. Say whatever you want about those people, but ultimately all they want is something that they enjoy reading, all right? And I can't help thinking that hiring actual publishers for these comic book companies will achieve that, all right? And it's just, or it would have achieved that. Because like I say, I mean, at this point, I don't know that the comic book industry can be saved. I mean, three years ago, yeah, maybe. Now, well, I'm just not sure. I don't know if... I don't know if it's possible anymore. But one thing I know for sure is that for the first time, I don't really care. You know? I'm kind of to the point now where I don't really give a shit if Superman, new Superman comics come out every month. And I never thought I would get to that point. I mean, I mean shit, I never thought I'd get to the point where I would stop buying Superman comics every month. But, you know, I figured even if I could stop buying them, 
I can still be content with the fact that a comic book is coming out every single month that has the Superman logo on it. At least there's that. Except I don't, I don't really feel that way anymore. I don't really care if new Superman comics come out anymore. It, my world, the sun, the sun rises and the sun sets, whether super, new Superman comics are coming out or not. And to me, that truly is the point of no return for me on a personal level, right? I guess the rest of you, you're all welcome to have your own standards, your own Rubicons, your own lines in the sand. But for me, the realization, it, it, it hit me when I, as again, as it turns out, fake news. But when that news, quote unquote, article came out that said that DC Comics is calling it a day, that, uh, that DC Comics is closing up shop. What I realized is, you know what? I don't care. This does not affect me. In no way. This means, this means virtually nothing to me. Nothing at all. And to me, that's the real tragedy. You know? Because I love Superman. I love the DC Universe. I love comic books as a form. I've said it a million times, but guys, there are stories that you can tell only in comics. The most epic, far-reaching, high-budget, ambitious types of stories. You can, you can publish that in comics. You can go the other direction. The most intimate, personal, character-driven stories, uh, layers of character development that would never be possible in any feature film and probably not even in a TV show. You can, you can tell those types of stories about those types of characters in comics. And the idea of comic books as a form, in effect, once DC and Marvel are out of business, it's a domino effect, guys. I can't imagine that the other publishers are gonna be long for this world. I mean, they'll probably hang in a lot longer just because they can't afford to piss away audience uh, goodwill, you know, their readers' goodwill, the, w the way that Marvel and DC did. But, you know, once Marvel and DC are done, guys, the entire industry is on borrowed time. What, you think uh, Kitchen Sink Press is going to be around all that long? Or Boom Studios is going to be around all that long? Or Dynamite or who the fuck else? That any of those guys are going to be around all that long? Once DC and Marvel are out of the game? Maybe. But I doubt it. I don't see it happening that way. And that to me is going to be the real shame. The fact that this industry got driven completely into the ground by a bunch of no-talent fucking worthless hacks who can't put aside their own political axes to grind long enough to tell an entertaining and engaging story that's going to build an audience and keep them coming back month after month after month and just getting that new issue, man. The fact that they can't just get over themselves long enough to tell a decent story about characters I give a shit about illustrated by artists who don't suck. All of that potential completely squandered. One of the few truly original forms of telling stories that America has ever created. Hell of a waste.
And yet, there's no arguing that, at, at least right now, at the time that I record this, that it's not a possibility. It's not the fault of collectors. We want to do this, but apparently the publishers don't want our money. It's not the fault of mainstream audiences. It's always easier for them to buy one movie ticket than it is for them to buy one comic book every single week. It's not the fault of new readers who don't exist because they'd rather play video games than, than read comics. All of this is at the feet of the publishers of Marvel Comics and DC Comics. An entire industry is on the brink and they want to talk about feminist cat ladies with green hair. I just, I don't know what to say to that. So, anyway, I can't imagine I have much of a listener base after offending so many people with all of these offensive and borderline actionable comments of mine. So, uh, but if you're still listening after all of this ranting and anger and vitriol and bile that I've been uh, dispensing here, <clears throat> send me an email. All right. I'm actively soliciting feedback in this case, and I promise you I will come back if you send me some stuff. I promise you I will come back very soon and work my way through some of that stuff. All right? I'll talk about it on mic, and we can have a dialogue, and let's just keep this going. All right? Maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think I'm full of it, you know? I mean, guys, say so. All right? Do you... Just ser seriously, guys, ask yourself. All right? Listen to, just think about some of the most, even if you, uh, uh, like whether you agree or whether you disagree, just think about the most potentially explosive thing that you've ever heard me say and ask yourself, do you seriously think that you're going to be the first guy to ever send me an email and tell me that I'm wrong? No, of course not. So if you think I'm wrong, send me an email and say so. Or if you think I'm right. Send me an email and say so. <clears throat> if you think that I missed a point, send me an email and say so. TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Send me an email and say so. Let me know what you think. Because bad enough that the industry is in the state that it's in, but I would really hate for it to go out on a whimper as opposed to a bang. So, send, <clears throat> my throat's getting pretty dry here, so I better cut this cut this short. Send me an email and say so. I think that's pretty much it for me for right now. So, bye everybody. See you next time. <coughs>
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And... Just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.